The 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition is about real, ongoing investigations. The following conversation may be disturbing to some people and is not recommended for all ages. Viewer discretion is advised. What was once known as a booming nightclub suddenly turned into a location of a violent crime scene. In the early morning on Friday, July 1st, 2016, College Street by Augusta Avenue was lit up by first responder vehicles attending to a shooting that took the lives of 42-year-old Justin Andrew Bokma and 42-year-old LaFranc Lloyd Matthews. We spoke to Bokman and Matthews' family to get a deeper understanding of who their loved ones were and how they lived their lives. Starting off with Nancy Bokma, Justin's mother. Justin is my youngest son, and he was a very easy baby. So it was good because I had the other two boys, and they were two years apart. So it was quite busy, and so I was very happy. Um, I think we always were close, very close. I was close to all my boys. And for most of his life, um, I was a single mother. So we bonded more because of that. He had a good sense of humor. You know, and I think sometimes it was a little warped sense of humor, you know, but people seemed to really enjoy it, you know, and he, it seemed he was always the life of the party, you know, and he would do goofy things and, you know, and everybody, like I said, that came and, and talked to me, you know, always had just such positive things to say, you know, and how they had such a good time and, and that he, you know, like help them and, and different things. And when I was over at the antique market, this lady was there and she knew Justin. And she said, you know, one day I was out and I saw Justin giving his gloves to this old man who had no gloves. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, I mean, but I knew that was Justin because he would do those kind of things. As Justin got older, he found a love in the sport of skateboarding, becoming a legend in the skateboarding community in Canada. He was a natural. He was a very natural. At first, I couldn't go to see him because I was so worried about on that concrete. And then when I went to see him, I just saw how good he was at it, you know. And he did commercials for Milk and McDonald's. He did movies, Academy Four, Harold uh, and Kumar, Go to White Castle, all these different movies, you know. And it was so interesting because in Harold and Kumar, he's a real kind of brute. And I said to him, I said, I don't like that, Justin. He goes, Mom, it's a movie. And I said, I know, but still, that's not you. <laughs> you know? But so it was, it was interesting to see him, you know, and I still can, I still can see him in the movies, you know, and so that's a nice thing. And one of the interesting things that happened with skateboarding is there's a, uh, where he skates over his brother, Kevin, and the crowd went wild. Since his passing, a foundation has been set up in memory of Justin. Well, Wes Lotes was a skater, and he was mentored by Justin. And he started the Build for Bokma Foundation. And what they do is they build skate parks, like multi multifunctional skate parks. And they're going to do one, build one in Justin's name, eventually in Toronto. But he just keeps the legacy going. You know, like every year there's an anniversary and they have a, a skate event. And so there's a lot of people, and it's interesting because even some of the younger people will come up and say, ah, Justin, you know, this and that, you know. So it's just so nice to hear, you know, and, and like I said, to keep his memory alive. 
Justin's love of skateboarding and his legacy keeps his memory strong. LaFranc, Matthew's sister, Julia, had a special bond with her brother and was proud of what he was able to accomplish in his lifetime. Her love for him as a kind, reliable, caring man are the memories she will keep with her. Well, he grew up in um, Jamaica with me. Um, just a great big brother. He's eight years my senior. Um, so yeah, he went to high school in Jamaica and then he went to university of, he left Jamaica after high school. Well, actually he went to XL college for a little bit. And then after that, he went to university of Toronto. So he moved from Jamaica to Canada to, um, finish his studies, even though he was born in Canada, he and my eldest brother were born here in Canada. And then my parents went back to Jamaica and had um, my sister and then me. So um, early years, yeah, he's just a good brother and a good kid. But he has always showed up um, for me. So every time, you know, and I'm, he used to always defend me when I was younger. Um, and what comfort me whenever, you know, I'm sad or, um, I remember my first breakup, um, he was so sad for me, uh, it was the first, first love and first, um, breakup that I ever went through. And, um, I remember him putting his arm around me and, you know, at the time is you, you, you kind of. It was kind of unwelcomed because <laughs> you feel like as if he was laughing at you because he was kind of chuckling, you know. And he's like, oh, don't worry, we'll get better. Don't worry, you know. But next year, you'll forget about him. So, and it was true. He encouraged a lot of his friends. Um, a lot of his friends, even some of the things I didn't even know. But like at his wake, they were saying um, that he, you know, helped some people find places to live. Um, some people were saying that, oh, you know, they lost their job and they were having a hard time and he he was there for them to help them in you know financial ways or even to just give them a place to crash and stuff so little things like that and you keep hearing those stories so he didn't it was the same person he didn't change really since we were kids because he was always trying to put people in a good mood and enjoy life that that was what he was about he wanted to be happy LaFranc had passions, especially in his line of work, before his life was taken from him seven years ago. You know what? He actually did love um, the bar that he was managing, and that's why he started um, his own thing. He really did like alcohol. <laughs> Not like it as in to drink it, but like it to serve it, because it, it just fit him. Um, he started out bartending. But first, he went to U of T for um, engineering, and... He just fell in love with the bar. And I don't know if it runs in my family because my great-grandmother, I heard, I wasn't alive at the time, but my great-grandmother, she had a, a big bar pub in um, in Jamaica. So I don't know if it runs in the blood or something, but nobody else um, loved, you know, mixology and um, learning about wines and um learning about, you know, the different liquors and, and he was what, he, he was really good at what he did because everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted to talk to him and just 
just um I don't know. It, it was just something about him that used to just pull people out of their shell and pull people out. But at the same time, he loved debating about science because he still loved science, right? And sciences and physics and um he still had that engineering mind. This is 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition. I'm Anime, the new host for this series. I'd like to welcome back acting detective Sergeant Steve Smith to the episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Anime. And so these two men were beloved by the community, and I think their murders just devastated everyone. Can we start off by talking about what happened first thing that morning? Yeah, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances. I mean... It, Mr. Uh, Matthews and Mr. Bokma were running a uh, unlicensed uh, alcohol establishment, an after-hours club uh, in the College Street area of Toronto. So this is a place that where people, when they're done at traditional nightclubs, would come and continue partying for the night uh, till five, six in the morning, um, and then they'd head home. So they did the best that they possibly could in this. Uh, they used, as you can see in this picture, uh, the entrance way is, is the black door that's sort of propped open there. Mm -hmm. So they would have one bouncer down on the street level. He would assess the people coming up. Uh, if he thought that they would make good clients, he would allow them up one flight of stairs to a second floor landing where a second bouncer would then assess the people again, search them to make sure that they didn't have any weapons on them. And it would allow them into the the nightclub or the after hours club for the evening. Mm -hmm. And so there's a two-step process of vetting people to come into the venue. That's right. As well as having just a one uh, person staircase. Uh, so it allowed that, that they were able to systematically bring people into the uh, after hours club and do their best to try to protect people from any sort of violence that that oftentimes comes with these after hour clubs. And so I'm just looking at this photo right now. Um, what street are we on? This is college. So, I mean, college street, any time um, of the night or day is is a vibrant street. I mean, there's people on that street all hours of the night and day. The, uh, a nice evening in July, uh, early in the morning, the street was probably full of people just leaving nightclubs, heading home, um, going out for a walk in the, the late evening. I mean, obviously early morning, um, but the streets very vibrant at these times of days and night. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at the stairwell now and the stairwell is quite narrow. Uh, you did mention that it is a one person stairwell just to control the crowds. And so the photo that we're looking at here, could you describe where this is? So this is the second floor landing. So the actual um, club itself was in a three story building and it was on the second floor. So you had to gain entry through the first floor, walk up the staircase. This is the second floor landing here. This is where the second bouncer would be. And this is where you'd get searched because uh, again, people coming to these sort of clubs um, come after a night of partying. There may be drugs involved. There may be alcohol involved, uh, intoxications. They may have weapons on them. So they wanted to ensure that nobody had weapons on them. Um, so there was no violence inside the club. Mm -hmm. And so let's paint the picture right now. So was LaFranc on the second floor here? So both LaFranc and Mr. Bokma were on the second floor uh, at, at a certain point. I mean, we can't say exactly what happened, but we know that they were both up on the second floor. And when the interaction started, they both made their way into the club. Now, were they chased into the club or were they already in the club and the shooter went after them? Most likely once he pulled out the weapon, everyone started to try to flee for their own safety. 
So this next picture looks like the inside of the club. Can you talk to me about it? This is the inside of the after hours club. So as you can see, it's very sparse, very limited. It's basically just for a place for people to hang out. There'd be maybe one washroom. There's a little bar area in the back where people would get their alcohol from. Um, it's very sparse in furniture as well as uh, decorations. But this is done on purpose because with these clubs, as they're not licensed, they would inevitably draw the liquor license board or police involvement, especially if there's any level of violence in there. And these clubs would end up shut down. So they didn't want to leave a lot of expensive furniture or belongings in there that would be seized in the process. So it's just a place where people would come and hang out after a traditional nightclubs ended. Um, they drink a little more alcohol and then they go on their way. Yeah. And I'm just looking at the image itself. I mean, you have a couple sofas that look like they're pleather. You have an interesting choice of, of paint color of this I guess, bright blue and this red on the other side in a mirror. It's almost as if it's a rec room just for the purposes of having a space to be. Yeah, it's just a hangout. That's what it is. It's a hangout for people that have finished their night at a traditional club and want to keep the night going, keep socializing with people and see what the rest of the night brings. Um, that's exactly what it is. Obviously, these after hour clubs do tend to bring um, a lot of violence because of the level of intoxication intoxication of the people that come to these clubs after and the propensity for people to bring weapons with them. Mm -hmm. And so maybe let's go back to the incident now. And so can you walk me through what happened and how everything started? So there was a group of males that wanted to get into the uh, into the club. They came up the stairs and they were asked to be searched. Two agreed to the search. One didn't agree to the search. So right there, that's a red flag that he probably has a weapon on them. So I'm sure at that point, some of the employees just wanted to escort this male out. Um, they didn't want any trouble in there. They didn't want any level of violence with the patrons that were in there or the workers. And they also didn't want to bring police involvement to this area and have it shut down. Um, unfortunately, the person that was carrying the firearm when he was asked to search and then asked to leave, pulled out the firearm and started shooting. He targeted the the members that were working there. He ended up shooting Mr. Bokma and Mr. Matthews, killing them, as well as shooting two other people. One we know was also an employee there. The fourth person, we're not sure whether he's an employee or um, someone that was just at the club for socialization. Um but there were four people shot, two injured, two dead. And so you mentioned that there were a lot of people. Can you give us an idea of how big the establishment is and how many people were there at that time? Well, we don't really know how many people were there only because when an incident like this happens, as it happens at a nightclub or really any place where there's a large number of people, people will flee Um not necessarily so they aren't involved in police when the police arrive, but for their own safety as well. They aren't sure whether the threat has ended. They're just trying to get out them themselves and the people that they came with out safely and get out of there. Um, once you're out onto the street, well, are you going to hang around and see what's going on and wait and see if this escalates? Or are you just going to take off and go home for the night? So we aren't really sure how many people were in there, but we do believe that it was fairly packed. So when you see the size of the uh, the room here, it's not a massive room, but you're talking probably 75, 100, 125 people that they'll pack into these places at a time. So it's very condensed, um, very close quarters. 
of that, we were only able to interview a fraction of those people. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned the turning point of all of this was when um, that person was turned away from the club and that's when they pulled out the gun. Who turned that person away? And then who came to the rescue? Yeah, the employees of the club obviously stopped this person because they're going to search everybody as they come in. Because when you've got that close quarters and people that are intoxicated, sometimes there's going to be... there's going to be disagreements. So people are searched coming in. Um, they're made sure that they don't have a weapon for whatever reason, this person thought it was acceptable to bring a weapon into this club. Uh, but when he refused to be searched, then he wasn't going to be allowed into the club for the, the reasons that we've spoken of. And most people, if they're bringing a weapon and understand that, you know, it's not accepted here and they've kind of been called out on it, you would think that they would just leave for whatever reason, whether it was level of intoxication, whether it was just that this is this type of person, he actually brought his weapon out and started to target the people that were working there because he, instead of blaming himself for actually bringing a firearm to a club, he blamed the employees for not allowing him in with his firearm. Mm, and LeFranc, I think of my understanding, he has high integrity of his work. Was he the one to stop this immediately? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, when there is a threat of a weapon, a number of employees are going to come to try to stop this person and have them removed quietly from the club. So he, as the owner of the club, Mr. Matthews obviously attended, tried to keep things calm, tried to have the person removed, but for whatever reason, this person was not having it. And he, he pulled out his firearm and shot two people dead. And so it sounds like there were a lot of employees involved and a lot of patrons there. Um, how many suspects did you say there were? Uh, we believe that there was three suspects. Obviously, one did the shooting, but two that were with him. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're implicated in the actual offense, but we know that they know who the shooter is. So um, these other two people that we're speaking to, um, amongst a mum- number of other people, because we believe that these people talk about these sort of things, um, tell people that they they committed these shootings, and we want these people to come forward and let us know. Um, we understand that this person is very violent, and people may not want to attend court, but they can let us know through Crime Stoppers or any other means anonymously of who this shooter was. And then could you help our listeners describe these suspects? Yeah, I can't get too much into the description only because we're applying a new level of science to this this cold case. So we're hoping that we're going to be able to create some DNA and better uh, differentiate who these people were and follow up and actually be able to identify the shooter. So that's our hope in this case. And so, okay, so we can't describe them, but could we talk a little bit more about their habits? Did they frequent this after hours club a lot? Well, obviously there were three younger males um, and they were obviously out partying that evening. Now, whether they frequented this place, um, I can't really say because we don't really know who they are, but obviously they had an in within the community because this isn't when you go to these after hour clubs, it isn't something that is widely known because once it becomes widely known, then obviously it's going to draw interest from the police and probably be shut down. So there was a certain clientele that they allowed in um, and they'd been running for over a year. So they were doing a job, good job of controlling this. But 
either one or all of these people had been to this premises before or knew somebody that had been here because they knew exactly where to go and how to get in. Now, why the one person would bring a firearm to this premise? Was he looking for someone inside or was his life in danger? We don't really know. Um, And did his level of intoxication result in him bringing out the firearm and shooting it at everybody inside the club? We're not really sure. These are questions that we'd like to answer. And once we identify this person, these are questions that we hopefully will have the answers to. And to continue to help everyone visualize how this incident happened and what transpired, can you tell us a little bit about, is was LeFranc or Justin, were they innocent bystanders um, or did they actively participate right from the beginning? Well, I mean, they were obviously just doing their job. I mean, Mr. Matthews, um, was you would consider the owner of this place or in charge of this after hours club. So they were trying to look after the people that were inside the club as well as the people that worked there. Uh, They had no choice but to try to address this when they believed that this person had a weapon. Obviously, they they don't want to fight with these people, especially if you believe someone has a weapon on them. You just want them to leave quietly. Or you know what? They probably even offered them, just go put the the weapon in your car and come back in. Um, but for whatever reason, this suspect did not want to do that. And he wanted to engage and he blamed the people here for not allowing him into this club when that's what he wanted to do. Can we close off by telling our listeners how they can help? And even if they think their information isn't important, can we tell them why it is important? Absolutely. I mean, anybody that was in that club that night that we didn't interview, if you're willing to come forward and speak to us, that's great. If you want to provide something again anonymously through Crime Stoppers, that's great. We also believe that that the individual that, that shot Mr. Bokma and Mr. Matthews talk to other people in the community, whether he had a girlfriend at the time, um, but people's relationships change over time. And these people may not have the same relationship with this shooter that they had at that time. And if people know what happened or know who this shooter is, just let us know anonymously. We'll follow up uh, using traditional policing means and we'll be able to bring this offender to justice. All we need is a name to do that. Mm -hmm. Let's take a listen to Justin and LaFranc's family's final remarks. Well, to that person who committed the crime, I have nothing to say because they know what they did. Um, I do hope that they are haunted by it. And this is just me being 100% with you. I hope they're haunted by it. I hope their life is difficult. And um, I hope they don't get any sleep. Now, do I believe that's what's happening? Probably not because some people don't have a conscience and... Some people don't have any regard for life, but they did what he, they did, they or him, whoever it was, took, changed a lot in a split second. So he destroyed a lot of people's lives and um, we are still recovering and I think we'll always be recovering. Um, What I can't wrap my head around uh, is, and what makes me kind of distrustful of people who who find me sometimes on social media and say, oh, you know, I knew him and stuff is because how are they, well, how is it that there's no no witnesses? So I feel like as if in my instincts that there are people that know something and um, they won't say stuff. Maybe 
their fear fear or maybe they just think that oh you know just let it pass and stuff but it's it's not gonna pass because people's lives don't just pass like that unless they're unless they're gone and you know they, they, he left a lot of people in his wake that are still mourning for him so um my thing is if you know something and you you don't come and say something I hope it haunts you too. I hope, I hope in some way, hopefully you have a conscience and um, you'll be able to say, you know what? I do know this. Let me come forward so that these people can have some peace or that, you know, they can actually, it could actually help with the healing. I'd just like to put out a heartfelt plea to anybody who has any information. Um, Justin was the police told me that Justin was a hero and he saved lives. And now I hope somebody can repay him by identifying the people that killed him in LeFranc. Um, to the shooter, I was never angry um, because I didn't know his circumstances, but I knew he had a mother. And that's what I related to, how she would feel, you know, knowing that her son did this, you know. So I just want somebody to come forward because... Um, they deserve justice, you know. They both were good people. They were had such a future ahead of them. Frank had small children, you know. Um, I had hoped that someday Justin had children, you know. Um, and he, also, too, Justin was, you know, uh, uh, uncle to two, uh, to uh, his niece and his nephew, you know. So it really impacted a lot of people, you know. His brothers are still having struggling with grief, you know, and a lot of people are still struggling with the grief, you know. Um, so I just hope somebody can hear this and do the right thing. Clearly, both of these families are hurting and we want justice for all of them. Thank you so much for joining us, Acting Detective Sergeant Steve Smith. And thank you to all of you for listening. This is 24 Shades of Blue. Hi.